You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, disciple-making people, so very good to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight, the spiritual fight, and right now, somewhere today in the world, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, friends, good to have you with us today. Thanks so very much for uh, tuning into the podcast. We want you to know this is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary. My goodness, we have all kinds of things here for you. We got a a lay program for those of you who want to check that out at wbs.edu. We've got a college now, for crying out loud, that has a great Bible college degree, but boy, it really feels like liberal arts and Bible. We're pretty proud of what we've done there. So check that college out at wbs.edu. We have a master program. Of course, we've got MAs and MDivs and all kinds of really good things there. So check that out at wbs.edu. And we've got a doctorate program, a doctor of ministry. And I'm not so sure it's not the best thing we do here at the seminary. So check that out at wbs.edu. I've been here for 37 years. I My guest today, by the way, has been here five minutes, I think, right? Five <laughs> That's minutes. about right. That's yeah. about right. <laughs> so 37 years versus five minutes. No, we're, we're, we're glad to have uh, Murray Vassar here with us today, who is our New Testament professor here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. And Murray, uh, a little more than five minutes, but not that much more, right? That's right. Yeah, it's, I started in July. July How about 1st. that? Yeah. So, How's it going so far? Oh, it's going great. I'm loving it here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. It's wonderful. So what's the biggest change from uh, not being a seminary professor to being a seminary professor as far as, well, I don't know, as far as anything, I guess? Well, um, so I was a full-time stay-at-home dad before I became uh, a full-time nice. professor. I like so, that. I like that. Uh, I, I enjoyed both jobs, but there's um, definitely... Uh, more time to think when you're <laughs> a professor and not a full-time stay So you can get to your office and uh, close the door and, That's right. and do some thinking. Good. That's right. Good. And you're, you're doing, uh, of course, you, you have a lot of new courses you got to get ready for, which, by the way, I remember having to do when I started uh, here at the seminary. By the way, it gets easier, you know, because you'll have yes. some things already in place. But then, of course, you're trying to do some writing as well. What, what are you especially working on right now? Well, I've got a couple things in the works. That I've got a uh, article on Romans that's uh, going to be published here in a little bit, and I uh, have an article on Ephesians that's uh, coming out uh, soon as well. I'm, but my big, big project is getting my dissertation published, so I'm doing a, some additions to that. Uh, I have a couple of popular-level articles that um, I'm uh, going to be uh, getting out here pretty soon as well. Well, we don't like to talk about dissertations here on uh, the <laughs> podcast because— you know, those are kind of boring. Uh, but having said that, yours is really fascinating as far as the topic is concerned. I'm not saying your dissertation is fascinating. I haven't read it. <laughs> but this is a fascinating topic, and it's basically on uh, uh, Paul's admonitions to slave masters back in the day. Yes, that's right. So I, uh, the um, much of what is discussed in biblical studies uh, might be described as boring, but um, I do think that uh, it, Paul's uh, the, the issue of slavery is one that uh, modern people do find uh, very interesting and, frankly, very troubling. Yeah. Um, and so it, it does, uh, I think, open up, up a lot of interesting conversations. You can imagine why it'd be troubling because, you know, we're in the New Testament now. Why didn't 
God should have dealt with this, you know, thousands of years ago. Why, why are we still dealing with it, even at the time of Jesus? So I imagine you have to deal with that topic a little bit. And anyway, the other day in chapel, you brought forth a message from a passage in Ephesians, and you tried to suggest to us this has something to do with us today. So I'm going to read yes. the passage. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay, so this is a passage. Uh, this is Ephesians 6, verses 5 down to, I guess we'll go down to verse 9. So it says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he'll receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. So you hold off from that passage and uh, you know, taught a great lesson that day to us. And I just wanted to get, get a little bit more out there uh, to a broader public. What in the world does slavery at the time of Jesus and the apostles have to do with us today? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, thankfully, we don't have slavery in our churches today. Thankfully, um, we our, our churches do not have slaves and masters. Um, but uh, I, I made the case in chapel that I do think that this passage is still very relevant to us today. And I focused on Paul's instructions to masters there in verse 9. Mm-hmm. And uh, the translation you read renders that uh, treat, uh, treat your slaves the same way. Um, but actually, a, a, a more literal translation um, would be, uh, masters do the same things to them. Hmm. And that has caused a lot of discussion of what could poss- Paul possibly mean by telling uh, masters to do the sla- same things to their slaves, because he's just told the slaves to you know, serve their masters. And um, it was the view of uh, John Chrysostom that uh, Paul actually was saying that masters needed to serve their slaves. Um, and that what the uh, what is expressed here is uh, similar to what's expressed in Galatians 5:13 when Paul tells Christians to be slaves to one another, or what's expressed uh, in Ephesians 5:21 when Paul tells Christians to submit to one another or be subject to one another. And uh, so I made the case in, in chapel that uh, that that reading is uh, the cr- the correct way we should understand this passage, um, and it, it is uh, certainly a uh, not the position that uh, all interpreters take on this passage. In fact, it, it, it is a minority view. Um, but I think there are good reasons for thinking that uh, that we should take Paul literally here when he tells masters to do the same things to the slaves. You say there's some kind of subversion going on here of the, of the master-slave relationship, and Paul's undertaking this to say there's things to learn from this institution of slavery that ought to be very relevant for our lives. Yes, yeah, so I, I do I did use the word subversive, I believe, um, because uh, uh, the the notion that um, masters should re, you know reverse roles and should serve their slaves in the same way that their slaves are serving them is of course uh, quite contrary to the entire right. notion of the master slave relationship. So it really flips things on its head. Um, so in that sense, I do think that what Paul says subverts. Um, uh, the 
the idea of slavery. Um, it is interesting, though, I think, how in uh, the New Testament, slave imagery is used quite a bit um, to describe the way that Christians should uh, relate to each other, and even perhaps more shockingly, to describe the way that Jesus uh, was. So in Philippians 2, we read that Jesus took the form of a slave. Um, in Matthew 10, he tells his disciples that whoever wants to be great among them should be the slave of all. And then he gives himself as the ultimate example of that. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we, we think of uh, the alternative to slavery as being everyone is free. But in, in Christianity, I, I would argue that uh, the, uh, the, um, the, it, it is sort of flipped around when everyone is a slave to each other, right? That it, it's um, in our imitation of Christ, we are called to serve one another um, as slaves. Now, that's interesting because you actually brought up the day of your sermon in chapel, that, that, that day, the term mutual slavery, which is fascinating. Describe what yeah, that's supposed well, to be all about. You know, we, we uh, sometimes use the term mutual submission mm-hmm. uh, in reference to Ephesians 5.21, where, where Paul tells them to submit to one another. Um, and, uh, you know, the mutual slavery uh, is uh, expresses, I think, what Paul says in Galatians 5.13, where he tells Christians to be slaves to one another. Now, um, that the phrase, be slaves to one another, may, may not be familiar to you, because often our translations render that verse, serve one another. Um, but that translation is doesn't quite capture the strength of Paul's language here, because the, the verb is duluo, um, which it really means to be a slave. Um, so the in Greek, the noun uh, for slave is doulos. Um, that's that's a slave, a doulos, and then douluo is is the uh, cognate of that noun. So it's the verb form of that noun. So just like in English, we have the noun servant and the verb serve. Uh, in Greek, there's the noun uh, there's noun doulos, slave, and there's the verb douluo, which means to be a slave or to serve as a slave. And we don't really have uh, the, to we don't have the verb to slave in English, so we have to render that with something like serve or, or um, uh, uh, serve as a slave. Um, but really, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, original readers would have heard that as a stronger command than just merely serve one another. It's actually be slaves to one another. Well, I don't often, well, when someone writes a dissertation on a subject and they reach the level of education you've reached, uh, whether you'll ever want to say this or not, I think I can say it of you, you're one of the world's experts in, in slavery at the time of the Bible. That being said, what is the difference between the chattel slavery of, say, this country in the early years of our existence versus the slavery at that time? Was there any difference? Okay. Yeah, well, um, there certainly were differences. Um, the most prominent difference uh, being that uh, it was not, in the first century it was not a race-based slavery, mm. um, which I think is important uh, when we're having this conversation about slavery and, and the Bible's position on slavery, because, um, and I, I'm not an expert in uh, American slavery, so I, I want to be careful uh, when I'm talking about the modern world, I'm going outside of my area of expertise, but I do think it's interesting that we, we characterize the debate in America over slavery as being a debate uh, about slavery, um, but I, w- I wonder if it isn't more accurate to characterize it as a debate about racism, mm-hmm. um, because uh you'll notice that both the North and the South uh, were agreed that it, it, you shouldn't enslave a white person, right? So the whole justification for slavery was built on this racist notion that black people were somehow inferior and were 
um, bettered by being in the condition of servitude. Like that was the natural place. Um, so, so really, they're uh, undergirding the whole debate among Christians um, was uh, the question of racism. And I think while while you could argue that the Bible is not clear on slavery, I think you could argue that the Bible is very clear on racism, and that there is absolutely no justification for that view of humanity uh, in in Scripture. Um, so anyway, all, all that say, the race uh, issue is a huge difference between ancient slavery and modern slavery. Another difference is in American slavery, there um, what there it was only a portion of the country that had slavery, and then the North there was freedom. So there was the possibility of escaping and going to freedom. Um, that was not the case in the Roman world. It's not like there was a part of the Roman Empire where slavery was illegal and you could escape into the free part. No, you know, slavery was everywhere. So um, that that's another major difference. Was it as harsh, do you think? Uh, okay. Greco-Roman or even, you know, slavery amongst uh, the uh, the crowd in Palestine? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think we do need to um, recognize that fundamentally— uh, American slavery and the slavery of the Greco-Roman world were the same in that it was fundamentally chattel slavery, where the slave was legally property, the possession of the master. Um, uh, there, now, as far as the condition, one thing that we need to recognize when we're thinking about slavery in the ancient world is that there was a, a quite a significant range in the uh, condition of slavery. So you could have, you know, at the bottom, um, you'd have slaves on the galley ships. Like if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, you get a sense of what how horrible that might have been. Um, you have slaves uh, in uh, the mines, you know, a very horrible uh, condition there. But on the other hand, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, you could have slaves in Caesar's household who commanded tremendous wealth and tremendous power. Um, so there was a wide range of, of uh, conditions in slavery. It seems like when Christianity moves into the situation— that uh, um, books like Philemon and other books are suggesting, uh, as you've already suggested with the race uh, piece, and that is there is no upper and lower as far as personhood. Uh, mm -hmm. We recognize that in Christ, we are all people of worth, and we need to treat each other as people of worth, regardless of where we talk about master or slave. Yeah, I think that's quite right. And um, so, you know, we, we often— are troubled by the reality that Paul never tells Christians explicitly to release your slaves, right? He never says, Christians, you know, release your slaves. But um, I think, it, it, you know, before we uh, judge Paul here, we should look and see what does Paul actually tell slave masters? What does he actually say to slave masters? And there are only three passages in the New Testament, all in the letters of Paul, in which uh, slave masters are given instructions specifically concerning their treatment of their slaves. Um, one is the letter to Philemon, and at the heart of the letter there are the words to receive him back, no longer as a slave, but above a slave, a beloved brother. Um, and then Colossians 4.1, um, the end of the Colossian household code. And again, it, it, this is usually translated, treat your slaves justly and fairly. But uh, I, I argue, in my dissertation, I argue that that uh, translation doesn't capture the force of what Paul is saying here. The, the word that's translated fairly is uh, the word isotes, which uh, is typically translated equality. Um, and in the context of slavery, um, it, is, uh, it is frequently used to describe what slavery is not, right? So, um, in, in, for example, you'll find passages where um, we read that a certain group didn't practice slavery because they respected isotes, because they respected equality. So uh, a literal translation of what Paul says there in Colossians 4.1 would be, masters grant your slaves justice and equality. That's a very strange 
statement there, a, a very surprising thing for Paul to tell masters. And then the third and final passage is here in Ephesians 6, 9, which as I've mentioned before, it literally says, uh, masters, do the same things to your slaves. So uh, what I think we find is that when we look at what Paul actually says to slave masters, um, he he gives these very uh, r- really radical, subversive commands that if you really take them seriously, they require a total reimagining of the master-slave relationship. Hmm. I wonder how uh, how many of that, how much of that kind of lesson made it into uh, the plantations of the South, let's say in the 19th century. Probably not so much, right? I, I doubt it. <laughs> I, 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 someone had said to me that the, that they edited Bibles for the plantations, for these slaves. They didn't mind them having them. They just didn't want them to read everything. I think they wanted to read them the things that would pacify them and make them good slaves. And my understanding is they wouldn't even let them have the book of Psalms, period. There was just too much in there about justice, mm. too much in there about, you know, uh, fairness and, uh, and righteousness. I yes. just think that's a fascinating thought. Uh, with, with all of this, what does a passage like that have to do with us today? Why would we even care when Paul goes off on slaves and masters? Why would we want to pay attention to that? Yeah, well, great question. So again, this is something in this the sermon that I gave um, uh, this past week. Uh, I I made the case that uh, while we often think that the um, last part of the so-called household code, where Paul addresses the different groups in the family, the last part with slaves and masters isn't really relevant to us today because we don't still have slaves and masters. But um, I made the case that uh, I, I think it is relevant because what that shows, when Paul turns to the masters and says, do the same things to them, that indicates that Paul really does believe that all Christians are supposed to be uh, treating each other uh, or be um, be serving each other as slaves, just as he said in, in Galatians 5.13. Um, and a, a similar uh, in Ephesians 5.21, when he said to submit to one another. So uh, it, it shows us that Paul was really serious, like even in the relationship when it would seem to make the least sense to, to have uh, you know, the command of Galatians 5.13, serve one another as slaves, to have that be put into practice. Paul says, no, even in that relationship, you know, as Christians, this is what you're called to do. Um, so I, I think that um, it, it, uh, do, it, it is relevant to us because it does um, stress this uh, ideal, which was presented by Jesus, presented by Paul, that we need to be um, serving each other as slaves. And I made the point at chapel that that, that slavery metaphor, the, uh, the real point there, I don't think, is necessarily about doing more chores. Like, um, you know, obviously uh, it, it might involve doing chores for each other, but really the heart of that metaphor, I think, is pointing to the a radical humility, um, because slaves, of course, were on the bottom of the social hierarchy, and so in, in uh, presenting slavery as the model for how we should be interacting with each other, um, Jesus and Paul are, are calling us to embrace this, this radical humility uh, and radical selflessness, and so I think that is certainly uh, very relevant to us today. You know, what I think is really important about this is I, I the culture has a distaste for Christianity today. I think if you look at the polls, you would, you would recognize that true. I, I think there's any number of reasons for that. But I think the reason this is so important for us today is maybe it's because, and I just we just wrote a book, as you know, uh, Marie, on the doctrine of good works. Maybe there's not enough good works that they see us doing sacrificially in a servant kind of style. If the world saw more of that in us, Unless politics 
unless, you know, shouting at people, uh, when we get a chance to shout at them, unless taking sides and more service, more servanthood, more do loss, would it make a difference? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it, it would. It is a difficult question when we think about how the world views Christians. Um, one thing that, that strikes me is, it, you know, the early church was extremely effective in reaching their world, right? They, Christianity spread like wildfire in the early centuries. Um, and yet, when you look at some of the writings of the pagans, um, often the Christians were very much despised. Um and so, um, you know, obviously Jesus also uh, was uh, crucified, right? So um, we, we, we shouldn't, I, I think we, it's a balance, because on the one hand, um, we shouldn't be surprised when there's animosity towards us in the culture. Um, but on the other hand, as you rightly note, um, I think we do continually need to be, uh, at, you know, asking ourselves the question, is this animosity toward us, is it because of the gospel? Um, or is it because of our own bad behavior? Um, are we maybe not, um, uh, are, is the animosity coming because we are correctly representing Christ? Or is the animosity coming because we are misrepresenting Christ and uh, misusing the, the Christian message for our own? I think you can make gains. the case they didn't like Jesus because he was doing just that. Yeah, maybe that's not the only thing, but he was running to the sound of the pain. He was getting out there on the margins. People were falling yeah. in love with him because he cared about them. Healed yes. them, touched them. What's fascinating about that when you brought it up, though, is I was thinking about Julian the Apostate, who who said, I, I hate these Galileans. They feed not only their poor, but ours as well. Yes. It just unnerved him. Yeah, it, it's it's remarkable how even the, the opponents of Christianity acknowledge that, yeah, they really take care of each other. They really show love for each other. Yeah, so I'm just, uh, have you ever have you ever noticed somebody that's really good at this? I want you to think of somebody. Just think of somebody who was really good at serving other people. Might be historically. I'm thinking about a guy right now. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him. I used to be a professor here. And it just seemed to me like every room he ever walked into, the thought on his mind was, how can I serve this room? Hmm. How can I serve the people in this room? Every single room he ever walked into, looking around saying, how can I move in such a way that would be Christ-like in this room? How can I go wash feet in this room? Now, not literally wash feet, but do that kind of servant work. And I tell you, I think that kind of thing is very attractive to people who don't believe. Just to see that kind of mentality, that kind of service, that kind of attitude. So I'm thinking about him. Does anybody come to mind in your mind that's that did good at this do-loss thing with their life? Yeah, you know, I... I um uh, as you say, that a pastor comes to mind who who was just uh, a very humble person, uh, and I, I felt like he was always, um, uh, as you say, they're looking for ways to to encourage people and, and support people and, and um, make them feel loved and accepted. Um, and yeah, I, I think you're quite right that that the the world does um, when they see that. Uh, uh, being enacted, they they do. It is attractive. Um, it is it is attractive. Yeah, and I think I'm thinking of John Wesley right now. That, of course, he had the means of grace, the works of piety, which we all consider prayer and Bible study and fasting. But he had the works of mercy too. He says, and inasmuch as you do those, the world's attracted to us. And as much as we don't do them, guess what? And by the way, he also said, and that kind of servanthood, that kind of do loss, that kind of feet washing attitude is necessary for salvation and it's necessary to keep your salvation 
which is a fascinating thought. This is pretty central to the faith, is it not? Yes, I, I think so. Yeah. So this mutual servanthood. If, if someone wanted to do some more reading on this at a level that they might be able to understand, sure, your dissertation is going to be great when it comes out, but mm-hmm. probably something that they could read right now, go to Amazon or something. Is there a good book out there along these lines that get people sort of f- more familiar with the whole concept of do loss and what it means in their life? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, I in my dissertation work, I've been dealing with, with the academic um, material on this, so... I don't know that that right off the top of my head, I can think of a great popular level um, resource. Um, I, I do, not to just <laughs> promote myself here, but I do, um, I, I am working on a popular level article oh, um, nice. which Good. deals with, with this. So um, I'm, I'm, uh, it's not available yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to have it available in the near future. Good. Well, do you know what's going to run in when I, it I, runs? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm still, wait, it's still under review. Uh, so I, Very I, nice. I can't, I can't uh, say that yet, but. Good. Well, I do think it's a great topic and it's a, it's an uncomfortable topic because we don't like talking about slavery. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you said it's not in churches today, but all around the world, there's slavery going on. Is that the case? And yes, maybe yeah, I, more today than, than in a lot of other ages. Sadly, that's true. Yeah. And, and, um, sir, it's not. It's it's illegal across the world, but sadly, that doesn't mean that it, it is gone. It, it, uh, unfortunately, uh, slavery is still flourishing in the modern world, despite yeah. being illegal. So, Murray Vassar here with us today, talking about slavery and what it might mean. We'll look forward to that dissertation coming out. All right, Thank you. I want my own personal copy of that. It'll probably cost me a whole bunch of money the way dissertations uh, cost. Unfortunately, but, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but having said that, the more popular level stuff, and I think more writing needs to be done on this for the lay person so we can wrap our minds around what's this mean for us? And I think you've just said it means something. Yes. Well, thank you so much for, for having me on the program. really enjoyed it. All right, friends, it's a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedman. Hey, check out our books on Amazon.com. I've got a Substack, Freedy's Substack. Go check that out. And uh, keep in mind that book, that new book we got out right now, The Doctrine of Good Works. Always, always tell others about the podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. Hey.